You are listening to episode 119 of the Remind Yourself podcast. Welcome to the Remind Yourself podcast, the podcast for physician moms just like you who want to ditch mom guilt, stop yelling, and start enjoying their lives today. I'm your host, Michelle Chestovich, certified life coach, family physician, and mom of four. If you want to overcome overwhelm for once and for all, this is the place for you. Hello, Mama Docs, and welcome back. I am so thrilled that I have an amazing guest to share with you today. Tanya and I have met a few times, I think, over the last few years. She is a fellow physician coach, and she is doing amazing work in the world, and I'm so thrilled to have her on. So without further ado, I'm going to let herself introduce herself. Welcome, Dr. Tanya Kaler. Thanks, Michelle. I um, And welcome to all of your listeners. I also am a mama doc. Actually, we had our kids in residency, so there's some wild stories there. However, I am uh, an academic physician coach up in Anchorage, Alaska, and I primarily partner with family medicine residencies, um, mostly in what we in Alaska call the lower 48, <laughs> since there's only one residency program up here in Alaska. I still remain clinically active, filling in at the FQHC in town and still fill in as on-call faculty for the residency program here. Love the work I do, love the inspirational people in primary care and love partnering with them. Oh my gosh. So amazing. Before we get started, I just need to let my listeners know, because before we started chatting, I said, how's your day going? We were just kind of having this beautiful conversation. Today, we are recording it as May 15th, May 16th. And I said, how are things up in Alaska? And Tanya, take it away from here. Before, we're not going to spend the whole time talking about the weather, but this is just kind of fun. And we need to document this for prosperity, prosperity, for posterity's sake. We need to document May 16th. Tanya, what did you say about the weather up there in Alaska? It is a requirement if you live in Alaska that you must mention the weather. And so it is a very late start to spring. However, my backyard, the snow melted officially completely yesterday on May 15th. Wow. So there we have it. So it's a there great day we have spring. it, people. It was a long <laughs> winter for us down in the lower 48. And for up in Alaska, it was even longer. So again, we don't need to spend time on that, but I just think that's kind of fun. Now tell me, first of all, Tanya, when did you get up to Alaska? I recall that you had gone up there maybe after residency, but why don't you just start there? Oh yeah. So after residency, I actually worked um, in Florida for several years. And then we moved up about 16 years ago. I joined um, as core faculty at the Alaska Family Medicine Residency, which is by the way, an amazing residency program. That is in Anchorage, Anchorage, Alaska, a beautiful place. Um, Wonderful. Really quick out to get out to the hiking trails and beautiful scenery and wildlife. Stayed on as core faculty until my own little bout with burnout in 2015, really healed, covered from my burnout in a private practice setting with a husband and wife that set up their family medicine program clinic to enjoy medicine and not maximize profits. Still loved working with residents though. And so I did that. And in 2019, started my coaching journey and started my own coaching program because I realized once I understood, and you know this, and a lot of your listeners know this, like, oh my gosh, how did we not know these things since we were children? Like the am- amazing power that coaching can unlock. I, it just made it so much sense that this is what is missing in the graduate medical education world. And because I'm beholden to family medicine, that's who I partner with. 
I love it so much. And you're right. It's like, once you know it, you can't unknow it. And you just want to like tell everyone, it doesn't need to be so hard. We learned so many amazing things in our medical education and in our residency trainings. But a lot of it was like just a lot of knowledge, but also how do we tackle a problem? We get up earlier, we try harder, right? Which can absolutely add to the fuel of burnout. So you so calmly just kind of like threw it in there. Like when I had my episode of burnout, which again, I think people who are listening have heard me say, like, we just need to normalize that. You know, medicine, we're at high risk because we're high achievers. It's in a high stress environment. And I'm just, I missed this part, but you mentioned to me, or you mentioned that you did your healing, which I think is such a lovely word, along with this other husband and wife team, it sounds like, family docs, And were you doing coaching at that time as well? Or was it just seeing that like life in medicine doesn't have to be running as fast as you can on the hamster wheel? Or was it both? Yeah. So really the coaching came later. So the recovery uh, really took place in just being in a system, we'll call it their private practice, a system that supported um, the individual. I had autonomy. I had time with my patients. I was able to practice in a way that aligned with my core values. And it was much more of a family unit. We weren't shooting for metrics and all the things. And I do understand the necessity that the world has created about those things. So I, I don't really have a lot of animosity towards met- metrics, but I was able to engage in medicine in a way that was really how I had signed up to practice. So I think that was where the main recovery started because I do, and I think there's evidence out there. I think um, Dr. Tate Shanavelt has published on the, the majority of the circumstances that set up physicians for burnout, you know, about 80% of those come from the systems. Those are things that can be changed, but 20%, I'll tell you what my 20% were. They were individual factors of maladaptive perfectionism over-reliance on external validation, feeling like I had to check every single box because otherwise that would, my definition of failure was not checking every box. And so there were a lot of things that I had, my approach to the world of medicine set me up for burnout as well. And so even though I had recovered, I did not yet have the tools until I found coaching. And the reason I found coaching, interestingly enough, is I was really missing a lot of what my academic life was. A lot of the development with the curriculum, a lot more collegiality and collaboration on projects and really investing that time in residence. And so I hired a coach as a career coach. And so uh, even though Dr. Ali Nowitzki does not call herself a career coach, that is what I hired her for. And she really helped me to see some of these other things that I had control over and did not at the time see as problematic. You know, I took pride in getting the boxes checked, right? Yeah. Well, it's so interesting because again, a lot of these things have served us for a portion of our life, but now it's contributing to the stress. I do love that you mentioned, though, that like so much of burnout is a systems problem and how you had this beautiful recovery in a system, right, in a private practice where you could practice medicine like you liked. I think a lot of women and men who are thinking about perhaps leaving medicine because they're so burnt out, I want people to know that like you can find the love and the joy in medicine again, but perhaps it's in a different system and two, perhaps is learning some of your own how did you call it? Maladaptive perfectionism. Yeah. Yeah. Maladaptive perfectionism and checking all the box, like all those sorts of things that coaching can help with. It's kind of like there are 
two different ways in which you can recover and find what you want. But I want people to hear that like you can find joy in medicine, certainly through my multiple bouts of burnout. Um, I learned a lot of things that helped me feel more in control and I really was enjoying medicine. I've now left clinical medicine to dedicate to coaching full-time, but it's not because I was feeling burnt out. I was actually enjoying what I was doing, right? So through Allie Nowitzki, which shout out to Allie Nowitzki, she's amazing and a wonderful uh, physician coach for women. And now she's adding on, I believe with, you know, you know, she and her husband are coaching husbands and men and families and so on and so forth. But I'll have her on another day and we can talk about all of the work that she's doing. So you got back into the residency world. How did things go at that point? Now you had some more of these strategies. How did things go? Well, I think, you know, I was able to engage in a much more, well, let me just say I was able to engage. I think that's just a a good term, right? Whereas when I had completely burned out, the level of engagement was so terrible. And so I was able to better manage my mind. And, And please, like for anybody listening on any given day, I may not have managed my mind. as well as other days, right? I mean, right. We are still humans and works in progress for sure. We have really bad struggle bus days. Yeah. And um, I think really, because I was approaching most of my work, even though I was still as on-call faculty, most of my work in the residency world was engaging in this coaching partnership, coaching residents, coaching faculty, and just being able to help bring in a little objectivity for them to kind of look at their own thoughts and what their own limiting beliefs were and really gained clarity. I I was just um, talking with an amazing faculty member today who had the realization that there was this narrative that she was lazy. And really once we've been working for a few weeks, but once we, she got to the point, she was like, Oh, you know what? I'm just lacking motivation. And the reason I'm lacking motivation is because I have no time for rest and recovery. Like that was a light bulb moment. She was like, oh, actually, when I actually have time for rest and recovery and I prioritize it and hold my boundaries, advocate for myself, then suddenly her normal motivation level and enjoyment enthusiasm for medicine was back. So I think- Isn't that um, so fascinating? I love hearing that, that that was like, I hear that so often as well. And like, we think it's just that there's a problem with us that we're lazy and we just have to try harder and work, you know? more efficiently. It's like, wait a minute. The reason my brain is like balking against this is because I'm so tired. It's so true. And part of it, you know, I think is how we're indoctrinated, right? Or it's like, this is how the system, this is how we go throughout pre-med and medical school and getting into residency. And this is how many of us develop these patterns that start during training. And so it's so completely normal that if you are struggling with this, it's it, your brain is working normally because of the system, the way that it's set up, the way that what you had to do to get here, right? And you also can learn a better way. Absolutely. Because I, again, I talk about it all the time and I know you do as well. Like what got us here was the fact that we were hard workers and we really wanted to do well. We were A students and gold stars, not only for our own quote unquote perfectionism, but also because it felt really good to get that beautiful external validation, right? I see that so commonly. And in residency, you're still getting some feedback, but I feel like there's a big drop off and so many people struggle in those first few years of being an attending. They think they're not doing a good enough job because they're not getting the gold stars anymore. So you mentioned the three big obstacles that you found for yourself. 
Could we just talk about that one? And then maybe you can also talk about other patterns that you see, you know, when you're working with all the residents and the faculty. Yeah. I think, I think that over-reliance on external validation is something inherent. It is like, it comes with a sense of belonging and knowing you've done a good job and there's some beautiful things. So there's nothing wrong with enjoying, like knowing that you did something well and getting the gold star and the, you know, extra credit, right? Nothing is wrong with that. However, it is like the Venus flytrap, right? The, in the, um, what's that show? Little Shop of Horrors, right? It is never satisfied. It gets bigger and bigger and needs more and more and more. And so kind of learning to get off of that performance-based identity that where your worth is based on outcomes, because those have been you know, traditionally validated by others and starting to like form your own personal identity as who are you? Who do you love to show up to be in the world? What would make you tell yourself, great job today? Right. Developing your own sense of internal validation, not from this narcissistic place. I think there's a part of those of us who go into service-oriented fields that feel like, oh gosh, if we validate ourselves, are we going to become narcissists? No. Like just knowing that you can be proud, you can put your head on the bed, knowing you did what you could do that day and sleep well, right? Because yeah, I think perfect. I think that's so true. I say, you know, this is an inside job. Yes, it's wonderful to get that external validation. And yet it's going to be few and far between. But we can start to learn to like fan our own flame, build up our own internal, you know, feeling that, hey, we're doing a good job. And it does come with just like, even after every patient, just saying like, I helped this person today. And I always joke that this is not like participation ribbon, like pat on the back, but this is just acknowledging that actually all the things that we do add up to a lot of good work, but we don't give ourselves credit for all of just like, well, it was just another patient. That's just what I do. Yeah. And it's amazing. Yeah. As if showing up and doing the work doesn't earn anything, right? Like is not meaningful. And I, you know, I think another thing like, okay, so you did your job, but be proud of it. You did, you showed up and you did your job. And on any given day, I think this, the all or nothing thinking comes in. Like if, if every single patient Number one, if we don't feel like we did the absolute best for every single patient. And number two, that the patient also agrees that we did a great job, then there's a sense of failure and that we've let people down. But like learning, just like we do with our patients, right? Like, you know, we encourage them to get out and start exercising and we'll, you know, start with, how about we just put tennis shoes on and get out the front door and that's a win. And then on an ideal day, you walk for 30 minutes and just having that bare minimum to that ideal goal and maybe allowing ourselves to have that. What's the bare minimum? I showed up. I was mostly professionally dressed, whatever that means. And I saw my patients. Maybe that is going to be the bare minimum. And the ideal goal is everybody walks away satisfied and I'm proud of my job, but anything in between there, just starting to lose that all or nothing and look to be able to accept that we really are making a difference. Just yes. listening and so being so much more than we realize. Yeah. Even yeah. that just we come in and are there to hear their problems, that alone helps our patients. And there's so much more that we do than that. But we just don't give ourselves credit, right? Unless we get the, you know, gold star rating from the patient, which, you know, don't even get me started on patient ratings, but I digress. So that's so wonderful. It sounds like you've had a lot of experience, not only with yourself, but in working with a lot of residents. Do you have a 
curriculum that you share with the programs that you work with? You talk about all these different topics or how is it that you come in and help organizations that, yeah. that would like coaching? Yeah, it's been a learning curve because, uh, you know, realizing that coaching within residency programs is still fairly new for most programs. And so tailoring it to what works best with the program. But I find that there are some of these topics that aren't necessarily taught. So I do ground each group coaching session with 10, 15 minutes in one of these topics, right? And then kind of transition to coaching. And as you and most of your listeners know, coaching really is about evoking your own best answers, right? And so there's some reflection that goes on. There's some discovery and insights that happen. There's this beautiful thing in group coaching where you realize, oh my gosh, I'm not the only one, right? That's There's my favorite, this- one of my absolute favorite things to normalize that we're not the the only one who is having these thoughts or struggles. It helps us lower that mask of uh, perfectionism, right? That imposter phenomenon feeling like, oh, maybe I'm not the only one. And in the just the sense of connection that happens in those group coaching discussions. And then I pair that with individual coaching because there are going to be topics that individuals may not want to discuss in a group and there it allows for more time to go a little bit deeper on those topics. But essentially I bring in a dozen different topics and really create some empowerment and some agency in allowing the, when I'm coaching faculty or when I'm coaching residents, allowing those groups to decide which are the topics that are most pertinent to them. Because they're the ones living their experience in their context. And I'm coming in as the external safe place, but they know what they're up against. And so allowing them to kind of choose the topics that are most meaningful to them, I found has been a very good way to get gain engagement. Yeah, of course. They're going to be more engaged if they're like, oh, this is really all about me, right? Which is yeah. which is super duper fun. So it is my like hope and like dream that this will coaching be so available at all organizations and particularly at the residency level and hopefully even medical school. Like we learn these, a lot of these habits in our brain, these thought patterns early on. And again, some of them definitely can serve us to a point, but they can also cause a lot of additional stress more than there needs to be in my opinion. So how readily, or what am I trying to say here? How common is it that residencies have a coaching program? For instance, I know wellness is a thing that they need to hit so many like lectures and requirements and support for their residencies. I certainly think we can turn the dial in all areas, med school residency and, you know, bigger organizations to take care of our people. But what have you seen in doing this work over the last few years? Yeah, I will say that medical students, medical schools may be slightly above ahead not above, ahead of the curve with um, incorporating coaching. So um, I would say the majority, that may be a misspeak, but I think so. The majority of large university settings have intentionally built in some coaching within the medical student level. Plenty of medical schools still looking at how that's going to work. The AMA has some great um, videos out there for basic coach training for um, undergraduate medical education faculty that are accessible on the web, right? Just so learning as core faculty to incorporate a coach approach is also just huge. Now, residency-wide, I would say there are a few leading universities. When I started this, by the way, I thought I really thought I was like the only one 
doing this work. And it was so, it was so incredibly refreshing to see that there have been years like Harvard and UNC and Duke and several others have been doing, have been incorporating coaching at the graduate medical education for years. And so that was really encouraging. That being said, the vast majority of residency programs do not have access to coaching. So yet, yet, yet. I think it's coming. Uh, you know, the ACGME, because of their mandates, Dr. Carrie Palomara out of Mass General has done a lot of leading studies. There's really great evidence. The folks out of University of Colorado have done a lot of studies coming, group coaching even. And so really, we see that it's making a big difference, not only just in burnout, but in professional fulfillment and decreasing imposter syndrome and increasing self-compassion and really engaging and enjoying and, and, and improving the quality of life, right? So it is here. And if you are out there in a residency program that does not have access to coaching, like start to talk amongst the leaders because there are so many different ways to access coaching. And if you're a family medicine residency program, I would be happy to chat with you. That's fantastic. So it sounds to me like the groundswell is starting. At least this is, I mean, I'm an eternal optimist. I, of course, wish it already had all happened, right? Because as a primary care doc, you as well, I believe in prevention. We know that, that burnout is a thing. We know that the numbers have been going up the last few years. And we know that coaching is an evidence-based solution for burnout, thanks to our colleagues in Colorado who recently yes. published that JAMA article. I know there have been others, but my listeners have heard about that before. So like, it's coming, I need to be patient. And yet I love that you just invite people to start talking amongst themselves. I think so many people are aware that like, wellness is here to stay. And it's not just a check mark, if you will, like, these are real human lives that are at stake. And the quality of our patient care also definitely benefits when we are well, when we have taken care of ourselves and we are feeling the joy in medicine, our colleagues like being around us, the patients benefit. Like, I mean, you don't need me to sing the praises through you. You don't need me to, I'm preaching to the choir, I guess is what I'm yes. trying to say. You understand that, but it's coming. What can I do? Again, I just, I'm like, I want to go around the nation and rattle the cages a little bit. What can we all do to help increase this, increase the ability for residencies or even just increase awareness that this is a thing? What are your thoughts on that? Well. Number one, uh, Michelle, I'll give you credit because having these conversations on hosting those on your podcast is one huge way to get the message out, right? Individually, we can all encourage those that we know who are in training to talk with their programs. Those of us who have friends and colleagues that are our faculty or ourselves or on faculty can look about what is going to be the best way to bring coaching in? There's so many different ways. I'm actually in the middle of a blog series about what is physician coaching that will give you various ways to access coaching. Look, there are 149,000 plus trainees. That's residents and, and fellows alone in the US. That does not count the numerous faculty members, which by the way, if you want to make culture change, we can't exclude faculty members from the coaching equation. And so I think just encouraging the discussion and looking to what's available and yes, time, effort, and funding. Those are the three things that keep us, you know, stuck in many places. And so looking at, you know, seeing every obstacle as something to form a strategy around rather than a stop sign, right? Yeah. And 100%. so there are so many different grants and different ways 
to to bring this into all residency programs. I am so thrilled and excited to hear about the work that you're doing and that it is happening elsewhere. And again, I know that it's going to keep coming. And I'm hopeful. I love hearing that the medical students are like, even like the medical institutions are even further ahead. And could it be someday that they say, we only want our students to go to places where they continue to be taken care of in, you know, mind, body, spirit, that sort of thing. Right. And they probably wouldn't say it like that, but. Yeah, but no, I think, well, the they DO could put some pressure would, from that right? end. Yeah. What's I, that? I'm I, sorry. I said, yeah, I think the DO schools would to- uh, totally use that language. And I do think um, once medical students have had really positive encounters with coaching, even if their programs aren't pushing it, they themselves will start to look. And I will the programs that I work with, most of them use that in their recruitment messaging that they offer an external coach. You know, they don't have to worry about me like supervising the, the day after they've had a very vulnerable conversation, right? So there are so many different things. One of the things you said earlier um, you use the word joy, and I really appreciate that because we talk a lot about burnout. And and but I think just highlighting the fact that well-being is more than the absence of burnout, right? Like we need to be able to flourish in our chosen careers. We've given blood, sweat, tears, time, and money, right? We've sacrificed a lot, and it still can be exactly a I don't know rejuvenating, fulfilling, satisfactory career. And you can still have life outside of work. It's not either or. So I think that we see some people looking and saying, well, I don't want my life to only be medicine. So now it's easier to think of it as a clock in, clock out. But that like robs it of its like powerful impact that you and are creating in humans' right? lives. Yes. The richness and the honor, right? And the joy. And again, I know I'm saying this from a place where I'm not in the throes of it, but here's what I'll tell you. You don't have to just be surviving your job in medicine, right? Even the way I say it, your job in medicine, right? Like some people are like, well, that's just how I'm going to think about it. And that's drudgery, right? We don't need to survive our lives. We don't need to survive our chosen profession. There can be joy on the other side for sure. And Tanya and I are here along with like hundreds of other physician coaches to like help you. If you're just curious about it, like there are so many things and we're not magic wand waivers that just like make everything perfect. No, we're realists. We understand that life is hard and that EMR exists and there are quote unquote difficult patients. And yet it doesn't need to be so hard. So tell me about the work that you're doing. Clearly, you're doing work in your residency. And then you also mentioned early on that you're also doing coaching for other organizations. Tell me a little bit what that looks like and like how people find you. Yeah. So um, I partner primarily with family medicine residency programs. Programs decide if they want me to coach faculty or residents or both. Although I do those group coaching sessions separately between faculty and residents. And what I have found over the last three years is really honing into a specific residency class for those coaching sessions really improves the psychological safety where we can really you know, cut to the chase on what's really eating at them. They don't have to worry about maybe their upper level residents or their interns or, or whatever. And so really have shifted over the last year to kind of with those group coaching sessions, doing, using a class specific approach. 
Um, and then adding in the individual coaching package so they can access coaching for those individual issues. And it looks differently for every program. I usually meet with the program director or the behavioral health faculty or one of the APDs, whoever is kind of taking the lead on it. And we design a strategy to engage their program specifically. I have one program that only gives coaching to their second year residents as they're becoming second years. And they they compress it. So it's all in the beginning of the year, the first 10 weeks, we have six group sessions and they each get three one-on-one sessions and we really get them off to a great start of being a senior resident. Other programs, I work with all the classes throughout the year. It really can look however is going to be best incorporated within the residency program itself. They can find me. My website is joinfamilymedicine.com. Join and- in family medicine. Yes, that is so beautiful. It. I love that. Dot com. Dot com. I will and have I, a link in the show notes. Great. And my blog is on there. I have a lot of different blog series that really bring out a lot of the topical teaching and different ways to think about you know graduate medical education. So happy for you to just breeze through that. And then they can reach out to set up a strategy session with me, talk through it. Awesome. And that can, if they want a strategy session, will that also be on the website? Yep. Easy to find right on the website. So beautiful. So again, I will have all those links. I highly suggest you reach out to Tanya. But before we go, I just want to say, like, is there something that's really stood out? I know you've been doing this for a few years and there are certain things that you're like, wow, I'm so grateful I could be here to help this individual. Anything that stands out that you feel like you want to share and or just like a a top favorite tip that you want to share with my listeners and or both? You know, really, I think one of my favorite things is to to tackle feedback. And so I'll leave your listeners just with, this is the analogy I use for feedback. If you're like me, you may have, your ego may not like to hear negative feedback, quote negative, right? And so what I have developed is a system where I, I make myself try it on, just like I was in the department store and I'm trying on, like, say, a blazer. So I don't look at it and just say, oh, no, it doesn't fit because that would be my go-to because I can get defensive. And now many of you may not have that, but for those of you who do, I put the blazer on and think, "Mm, okay. And I ask myself this, what parts fit? Hmm, Dang it. The shoulders fit. All right. And so when I find the pieces that fit, it doesn't feel good because I like to be the A plus gold star extra credit student, right? But I kind of flip the script in my head and say, okay, this is how I can become better. This is how I can grow. I would imagine that the vast majority of your listeners, especially those in training, are hoping that they have not peaked in medicine yet, right? And this is how they grow. And so kind of flipping that script and saying, okay, the shoulders fit. Yep. 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 And then looking and saying, oh, you know what? I think I think the arm length is off. It just doesn't snap. And so maybe I'll talk to the the person tailoring it, the person giving the feedback and just like, can you help me understand them? Am I, am I wearing the sleeve correctly? Am I understanding what you're saying? Help me understand because it doesn't seem to fit. And then they can say whatever they want to about the sleeve. And then I get to ultimately think, yeah, yeah, that still doesn't fit. I'm not owning that feedback and I'm just going to let it go. I don't need to ruminate on it anymore. I've looked at it. I've considered it. I'm letting it go. And yeah. so that that's my favorite way to look at constructive feedback. 
Yeah, I love that because so many of us just take it so personally. And then we instead, and to protect ourselves, we're just like, forget it. We just like dismiss all of it. But like, where might there be an opportunity for growth? And just to realize, again, I'm still someone who doesn't love feedback. I'm learning and growing and realizing like, this is my opportunity to improve. And just to realize that like, it doesn't mean that I'm a bad human because someone sees an area where I could improve. So wherever it is that you're getting feedback in life, that's a beautiful way to think about it. Like, okay. I can try this on, see what I actually agree with and like, let the rest go. So good. So helpful because again, otherwise people make big stories or they avoid, you know, being around maybe certain attendings or they think I'm not made for this area in medicine because I'm not good. Like we create these huge stories on one small critique. Another thing that I'll just remind my listeners, because I love reminding them, right? Like, what are you forgetting to remember about all the amazing things that were said about you? It's so Mm -hmm. cute how our brain focuses on the negative, which again, our brains are wired for negativity. We're docs. Of course we do. But like we perseverate on the one negative comment. Right. Yeah. I think that's such a good point. And so really we have to actively engage that part of our brain to look at those positives and to own them and not just, oh, well, yeah, that's part of the job kind of deal, right? The fireman that went into the burning building and saved the child, we're, we're not like, oh yeah, but of course that was part of your job. No, it was still amazing, right? Yes. So owning it. And I think we have to get intentional about savoring it. Just like you would savor your favorite sip of your favorite drink or that decadent dessert, like really sit there and marinate and savor the positive feedback. Yeah, so good. And even just from our patients, when they say like, thank you so much, like a lot of times there was like, yep, we just dismiss it. But no, this is this is fueling our fire, right? So we don't have to have external validation. And yeah, when we get it, let's savor it and honor that too. So wonderful. Well, I am so glad we had this conversation talking about how indeed it is possible to have joy in medicine. Tanya is here to help you out. So again, if you're a residency director, if you're faculty in residency, if you're a residence, a resident, particularly in family medicine, please go check out our website. And even if you're not in family medicine, check out our website and talk it over with your you know, director and just say, hey, this is what some programs are doing to help support and honor their residents and faculty. What do you think about doing something like that here? It's all, we can all be that ripple effect to make the change that we need to see in medicine. Yeah, so good. Thank you so much, Michelle. And thank Thank, you for all the work you're doing. Thank you so much for being here. And I look forward to seeing you again, hopefully soon. Great. Bye. Are you ready to take control of your life and put these tools into action? I'm here to help. I offer free consultations for physician moms to see if my one-on-one coaching package is right for you. You can sign up for a free consult at www.mamadoclifecoach.com.